to the fact that problems abound in our lives, but there's one thing that comes to all of us at one time or another, and that's dealing with the problem of fear. And uh, that's what we're going to be discussing this morning and next week as well, the problem of fear. But, you know, we try to disguise it in a lot of different ways. We call it different things. We say we're concerned about something. We say we're anxious about something. Um, it, we try to soften it, but the bottom line is we're just plain scared. There's times in our life where we're just plain afraid. And uh, that's a problem that we need to deal with. And uh, one of the things that uh, Webster defines fear as to regard something with dread or apprehension. To regard with dread or apprehension. You know, and as I thought about that, I wondered, you know, what do I dread in my life? What do you dread? What are you apprehensive about? What are some of the things that um, you have to deal with that you find yourself just plain scared? You know, it's interesting because we all deal with it in different ways. And uh, I like a card I got from a friend of mine not too long ago, and it kind of relates to our subject, but the front of the card has a picture of this train going around a bend, and it says, a story is told of two friends who walked down an old train track discussing life. Unexpectedly, from a blind quarter, a speeding engine approached. With no thought to personal safety, one of the friends pushed the other aside, even though it meant facing the fear of sure death under the steel rims. When I heard that story, I think of you and I wonder, would I be able to find your wallet and all that wreckage? <laughs> it's, it's an interesting way with, you know, dealing with fear. You know, we all have our approaches, and uh, some of us, you know, have you ever seen a list of phobias? I mean, there's a, there's a fear of phobias. I don't know what it is, a phobia phobia. I don't, but, th but there's a list. I mean, there's afraid of water, afraid of heights, afraid of closed-in places. Uh, pardon me? Afraid of speaking up in public. <laughs> you got to try that one on sometime. See how that's there. You know, public speaking, afraid of snakes, afraid of spiders. Uh, you know, it just goes on and on and on. The list of phobias is incredible. Wayne Dyer, who has written a book called Your Erroneous Zones, uh, talks about the days when we lose the battle because we're not living in the present moment. And this is what he has to say. He says, we feel guilty about something that happened yesterday or we're afraid about something that might happen tomorrow. And we fail to reach total fulfillment today. He says, fear can keep us from enjoying today. It really is true, isn't it, when you think about it? Think about what maybe right now you're struggling with, the fear of something in your life, the apprehension of dealing with it. You know, fear can terrorize us. It can immobilize us. I like the story of a young man who was playing uh, football for a, a local college, and, you know, they come up with summer jobs for him as part of their scholarship program. And uh, this young man had been given a job as an assistant welder, and uh, he had never welded in his life, but that really doesn't stop you when you're on one of those kind of programs. Uh, so he ended up on this uh, hospital job site, new construction site. Ended up 17 stories off the ground as an assistant welder, and he was deathly afraid of heights. And he had been there for some time, and a big old incredible Hulk kind of welding guy came up, and he could just see this kid was deathly afraid. Probably had something to do with the grip he had on the beam as he was sitting out there over the ledge. And he said, what's the matter, son? You afraid? He said, afraid? Me, me, me afraid? I, 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 I've been afraid for two weeks and I've been trying to tell you I quit. But, but I couldn't get the words out of my, my, my mouth. You know, talk about immobilizing somebody, huh? I mean, that's the kind of thing that we're wrestling with. What are you afraid of? What's intimidating you? That's what we, we need to really deal with that because, you know, I, I think if we go through the list of things, I just went through, a, just kind of in my own mind, a list of things that, I have spoken with some of you, I have, I, I have gone through myself, but 
in a, you know, in, in knowing people that are struggling with it. Some of us are afraid of getting older. <laughs> some of us should be afraid. But some of us are. Some of us are afraid of getting older. Some of us are, are afraid of dealing with um, an illness or a sickness or disease that, that we're struggling with. Some of us are afraid of uh, what's happening to us financially. Uh, I talk to singles and they're, they're afraid of remaining single. You know, they've got this clock, this deadline and, and that's approaching and they were committed to be married by a certain time and they're still not married and they're not even dating. And, uh, you know, it's a problem. Uh, some that are dating uh, that are single are afraid to make a commitment. Uh, you know, afraid to make that final step and be committed to the other person. Some of us are afraid of losing our job. And you know what? I thought about fear of losing your job. Think about this for a moment. This is, the, this is how society deals with the fear of losing your job. What do they call it? Getting fired? Now think about this for a moment. Getting fired. All right? Getting terminated. Getting let go. And if you're an athlete, you get cut. I mean, now, I don't know about you, but those aren't exactly things you'd look forward to in life, I guess. You know, afraid of getting fired. I cannot... Re- <laughs> there you go. You're out of here. Well, so, you know, some things you have to deal with. The po- anyway, the point is simple. Um, we can all relate to the problem of fear, and um, we can all use some help in understanding what fear really is and how we can deal with it. And the Bible, interesting, interestingly enough, has a lot to say about the problem of fear. In fact, 420 times in the Old Testament, the same Hebrew word is used dealing with fear. And over 600 times in the Bible altogether, the topic or subject of fear is dealt with. So it's a topic that uh, obviously has uh, some concern as far as God is concerned in our understanding of what fear is and what can be done about it. So what I've, what I've done is I've broken it up basically into, into three sections. Uh, we'll deal with the first one today and then the next two next week. But if you're really going to describe fear, fear is the result, first of all, is the result of not trusting God. Fear is the result of not trusting the Lord. We'll take a look in depth at that today, but it's also the proper response to God. You know, you see these no fear t-shirts, you know, it's kind of like society tries to tell you not to be afraid of anything. And uh, yet the Bible tells us that we should be afraid, that fear is a proper response to God, and it's also a requirement in our relationship to God. So as you look at these things, there's an obvious problem here, and there's a contradiction, and, and, and I can't help but wonder, well, wait a minute, if fear is the result of not trusting God, that's a negative, and that would be wrong. But on the other hand, if fear is a result of a right relationship with God, then that would be right. So if I'm struggling with fear in my life, is it a good, healthy fear, or is it a negative fear? Is it positive in helping me grow in my relationship with God, or is it something that's negative and actually is a result of me not trusting in the God that I say that I believe in? So we've got a real struggle that we're dealing with, and so to break it out, the problem really arises, and you have to ask yourself this question, I ask myself the same question. If I'm afraid of something or dreading something or apprehensive about an area of my life, is that good or is that bad? Is that right or is that wrong? Is it a result of me not trusting God or is it a result of me having a right relationship with God? And we've got a real problem there if we don't understand that. And so it's obvious that God wants us to understand it because it's critical and it's key as a foundation in our relationship with God. And so that's what we're going to take a look at today. And uh, as we go through it, we're going to examine five areas, specifically in the area that we just talked about, that the fear that's a result of not trusting God. This is negative. There's nothing positive about it at all. And every inference and every reference that's used in the Bible that deals with this type of fear, it's a fear that is highly... Um, 
uh, it's condemned by God, it's negative as far as our relationship to God, and it's a fear that if we are afraid of these five things, it's a fear that is a result, very specifically, of not trusting in our relationship with God. Now, let me ask you something. If I, if I ask you this question, and some of us are insulted by certain questions, but if I ask you a question, do you love God? What would be the obvious answer that everyone always answers? Absolutely. Yes, I do. Now, the problem that I have is, uh, you know, it's like the old song, but, you know, words always get in the way. Uh, do, do you love me? Oh, yes, I do. Uh, God, oh, I love you. I got, you know, I absolutely do. The problem is, how do you know if you love God? What's the objective standard that Jesus gave us in John chapter 14? If you love God, what will be true of your life? You'll obey his commandments. You follow that? Jesus said, hey, look, if you love me like you say you love me, the bottom line is that you will obey my commandments. You see what the problem is? I know a lot of people that if you ask them, do you love God, they would absolutely categorically say, I love God. Then why are you doing the things that you're doing in your life if you love God? Because what you're doing, according to his commandments, according to his word, is absolutely contrary to what he says you would do if you loved him. Oh, I love God. Well, then stop doing the things that you're doing that are wrong before God. You don't love him. Now let me carry it a step further. If I told you, ask you, do you trust God? Absolutely. Sounds like the right Christian-y type of answer that you give, right? Do you trust God? Absolutely. In every area of your life? Absolutely. Without any doubt. I know he's my best interest in mind. I trust him. Oh, good. Then what are you afraid of? Oh. You mean I can't be afraid of these things and still trust God? No, you can't. Just as you can't do these things and say you love him, if you do them, you don't. If you're afraid of any of these five things, you're not trusting him. And then we've got to get back to, well, how can we redevelop this trust that we say we have in God? And so the first thing as we take a look at this is uh, the first fear is the fear of evil. If you are afraid of evil, then you are not trusting God. That's as simple as it gets. Now, we may not want to face this, but when we decide that we're not going to trust God, when we just stop trusting him, I mean, it could be a, a conscious decision. I'm not trusting him anymore in this area of my life. I've trusted and trusted it to him, and things aren't going the direction that I'm going. I'm going to take this into my own hands and take care of business. I mean, we've all struggled with that. We get to those, those crossroads of life of saying, I'll trust him up to a point, but if he doesn't respond and react and do what I want him to do by the time that, the timetable that I've set, that's it. I'm not trusting him anymore. So we can consciously decide not to trust him, but we can also subconsciously decide not to trust him as well and not recognize that we've got to that point. If you decide, or I decide, not to trust God, then fear will result in my life. The first area is the fear of evil. Fear of evil is a result of not trusting God. Now, some of us are afraid of evil no matter what form it takes. You know, we live in a pretty messed up world. It doesn't take a genius to figure that out. We live in a world that's fallen. The Bible says that it's fallen. We live in a world that's fallen apart, that's filled with evil. And if you listen to the news or pick up a newspaper, you start to ask yourself the question, what's this world coming to? That's a very good question. And the answer according to the Bible is it's coming to an end as we know it. So it's just right on target according to what God has to say. We're, we're, just, we're not early, we're not late, we're just right on time. And, uh, and that's what happens. You pick up a newspaper. We read about shootings now in malls. You can't go to a mall without worrying about being mauled. You know, 
We, we see shootings in post offices, shootings in office buildings. We read of rapes and murders. We read of gang violence. We read of drunk driving fatalities. We read of divorce and incest and abuse of all kinds, drug, alcohol, physical, sexual. We've we, got new terms like taggers. We see embezzlement. We see fraud. We see the problem of AIDS and disease in the world. The world's a mess. And evil abounds. Regardless of all the people who are trying to say things are getting better. I don't know where in the world they live or where their heads are. You know, and they must be buried in dirt somewhere that they think things are getting better. Because it's not getting any better. And the fear of evil can tend to terrorize even God's people. We get to the point where we want to live behind bars in our house, behind elaborate alarm systems. We don't want to go out in public. We're afraid to stop and pick up a hitchhiker or stop along the side of the road to help somebody that may need help because you don't know if you're going to get wasted or not. And fear could terrorize us to the point where we are immobile. We're like the kid that's sitting out on the, on the, on the 17th floor on the, on the uh, beam. It's just immobilized by the fear of living in the world that we live in. But God says that, you know what, that type of fear of evil is wrong. And we can demonstrate that. And if you've got your Bibles, look at Psalm 23 for a second. Psalm 23. It speaks to us concerning the fear of evil. It's sad. You know, we got to the point you can't let your kids go outside and play. You know, you wouldn't let them go. Obviously, I mean, when we, I mean, we lived back east, we used to go out and we'd sleep out, you know, outside in the woods and stuff. It's like, I mean, I know there's no woods around here, but, you know, if there was like a tree or two, you know, you'd think if you had kids would go, hey, can we go camping out? You've got to be nuts. You're not camping anywhere. Camp in the backyard, you know, between the patio and that five-foot fence that we have, you know, right back there. You know, camping out. What are you, nuts? You know, fear of evil would immobilize us. Yet here, David... He writes in Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, look what he says, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. See, David says, I live in the midst of an evil world. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not going to be afraid of evil. Why? Because he's a man and he's going to suck it up? Because he's going to go buy a gun? You know, why isn't he afraid? He says, because God is with me. His security and his confidence is based on his relationship with God. His security and his confidence is based on the fact that he knows God's in control. He realizes that if he does die, it's God's appointed time. If his enemies do come in and, and, and crush him, it's because God allowed it. He knows that God is in total control of everything in his life. He says because of that assurance and confidence that not in himself, it's not this world philosophy, this humanistic philosophy that you can be confident in yourself and in your abilities. That's a bunch of garbage is what it is. Our confidence and our assurance comes in our relationship to God who's got everything under control. David says, man, I don't fear evil because God knows what's going on. And in fact, listen to this, evil, God allows it as part of his plan to draw people to himself. God's in control. So, so I don't fear any of this stuff. Do we need to exercise caution and discretion and discernment? Absolutely. But on the other hand, do we need to be so afraid to go out into the world that we're immobilized for fear of what's going to happen in an evil world to us or our family or our children or anybody that we love or care for? Absolutely not. Why? Because God is with us. He is our assurance. He's our confidence. We can count on him. We can depend on him. If you're afraid of the world in which we live, then it is a sign that you've stopped trusting God. We're to be a light in the world. We're to be in the world. We're to be among the people of this world. We're not to be of them, but we're to be there with them. 
we're to be a light and a salt. And when we start to hide behind our elaborate alarm systems and the bars behind our windows and doors, then we are effectively neutralized by Satan who has us afraid of the world because we don't reach out and we don't touch the lives of people around us anymore. Why? Because we're afraid. We're afraid to risk. We're afraid to take a chance. We're afraid to be with people that need to see that someone cares. That's sad. That's tragic that we've got to that point in our world. Fear of evil. If you're afraid of evil, there's no other way to put this. You've stopped trusting God. The second thing is a fear of an enemy. Psalm 64.1, David writes this, Hear my voice, O God, in my meditation. Preserve my life from fear of the enemy. Preserve my life from fear of the enemy. What he's saying is, you know, as a military leader, as a commander-in-chief, as a king, as a government leader, as anybody in a leadership position, he's saying, you know what, I've got enemies. Protect me from fearing my enemies. Protect me from worrying about my enemies. You know, it's interesting, if you're in a leadership position, let me just tell you something. If you are in any type of leadership position, I'm going to guarantee you this. The privilege of coming, of being in a leadership position and being a person that, that has the responsibility of making decisions. The, the privilege of being in that position is offset by the negative fact that you will have enemies in your life. You understand that? It comes with the territory. If you are in a leadership position, you can bank on, count on, look forward to, and wait upon the fact that there are going to be people in your life who want to stab you in the back, who want to knock you down, and they want to step on your carcass to get over top of you to get to whatever they want. You can bank on that. I'll guarantee it. You look at every leader in the Bible, and every one of them had leaders that, that had enemies that, were, that had arisen against them. Every one of them. There's a leader in the Bible and there's a leader in the history of this world that doesn't have an enemy or enemies that had arisen against him to try to destroy him. David knew that. He wrote this psalm while he was hiding in rocks. He had a whole army of people that were coming after him and he was hiding between two rocks and he, and he heard their voices that they were out to get him. As soon as we get him, we're going to kill him, we're going to do this. And he was hiding in the rocks and he heard all of it. And he said, oh Lord, protect me, preserve me from my enemies and the fear of my enemy." Not just from his enemy, but from the fear of my enemy. Man, you know what? Give me some strength and confidence and assurance, God, that you know what's going on and I don't have to fear my enemies. Because I know if they're there, you've allowed them to be there. And I know that at times you even, you even raise them up before me as an obstacle to see whether or not I really do trust you. Think about this. Isn't this an amazing thing about God? He tests us, he challenges us to see if we'll be obedient to his word to see if we really do love him. He tests us, he challenges us by raising obstacles in our life to see if we really trust him as we say that we do. Isn't that wonderful? Because he knows all about us. But we don't know, I don't know if I really trust God. I'm being honest with you. I can say it and it sounds good and it sounds right, but I don't know until the test comes and the obstacles are there whether I really do trust him. And as you pass these tests and you go over these obstacles, you can walk away with it with an assurance that I really do have a right relationship with God. And he really is there for me in this situation. And when I'm tested to be disobedient and I'm obedient and I realize that I really am in love with God because I've, sa I've sacrificed a selfish desire to do what's best before God and what God desires in my life. That's the only way I know. I don't know how you know, but that's the only way I know. And so as we look at this, he says, you know what? Don't be afraid of evil. Don't be afraid of an enemy. You know, what's interesting is that one of the ways that God teaches us to trust him is to raise up enemies in our life. 
And one of the ways he helps us to see how awesome, how great, and how powerful and loving he really is is to contrast him to our enemies. One of the greatest enemies that we all have as Christians is Satan, according to the Bible. Let me read something to you out of 1 Peter chapter 5. And it, it casts a new light on what a great God that we have and how much that he loves us. 1 Peter chapter 5. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but think about this for a second as we consider this whole problem of fearing an enemy. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 11. We read, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Why? Because your enemy, your adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to, re to, to devour. We got an enemy, a very real enemy, and he wants to destroy our life. He says, but, you know what? But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering uh, that are being experienced and being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. And after you've suffered for a while, the God of all grace who called you into his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Isn't that a wonderful thing? How many of you saw the, the movie The Exorcist? How many saw that movie? How many saw any movie that has anything to do with like Dracula, Satan, demonic things, anything that just scared the snot out of you? How many of you ever saw anything like that? All right? I mean, you remember walking out and going, man, that is the most scary thing in the world, right? But you know what's amazing? I mean, as scared as you are and as frightened as you were by that, the reality of it is that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Isn't that a wonderful thing? As, as frightening as that movie was, we can have a confidence and assurance that the world can't have because greater is he who is in us. Not greater are we, but greater is he, speaking of the Spirit of God in every life of the believer, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. As scary and frightening as Satan is and all that goes along with it and all the books that are out and all the movie portrayals and all the things that you see, as, as scary as all that is, that's how powerful and awesome God is in, our, in the life of every believer. We have nothing to be afraid of. Talk about the song, you know, putting on the armor of God. I mean, really, that's what it's all about, to quench the darts of the enemy. We got the greatest weapon on our side, and that's the God of the universe, who not only created Satan, but will destroy him in the end. What a wonderful thing. Now, what should we be afraid of? He's, Satan's powerful, but it should never scare any believer. All the movies and junk that are out, I mean, we should rejoice every time we see, or see, see a clip or hear anything about it, because we know greater is he who's in us than he's in the world. Let me tell you something. If you're not a believer and you go see something like that, it should scare the hell out of you. And that's where that term comes from. But it's not going to scare the hell out of you because the only way you're going to get the, the fear of hell out of your system is by turning to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. See, evil should scare those who don't know God. It should. Evil is a thing that has people that don't know God saying, man, what's this world coming to? Well, I'm glad that you asked because this world's going to hell and you're going right along with it unless you trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I mean, what a wonderful opportunity it is to share with people, huh? When was the last time somebody asked you, what's this world coming to? You said that. What do you used to say? Well, I don't know, man. It's pretty bad, huh? Well, gee whiz, you know, you might want to share a little secret that you know, huh? Fear of an enemy. Now, this is probably the one that most of us can relate to, and that's the fear of man. The fear of man. Proverbs 29, 25, it says this. The fear of man brings a snare or a trap, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. You follow that? The fear of man brings a snare or a trap, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Okay? Proverbs 101. Here we go. There's no, there's no Proverbs 101, but it's kind of like Proverbs, basic Proverbs. Uh, here we go. The fear of man brings what? 
Good. Thank you very much. Were the rest of you listening a minute ago? Or are you reading? What is the deal? Or did I lose you somewhere along the line? This is, this is Proverbs 101. This is basic stuff, okay? If you don't jump on these answers, they're going to get tougher. All right. So try to get out of your way. That's, I, that's how I got through every school that I ever went to. You, jump, you raise a hand on the easy ones, and you jump at those. Because then you're safe for the ones you don't know. Because <laughs> then they think you're hogging the show, right? You know? You, oh, no, no, put your hand down. Okay. Thank you very much. You know? It was a bluff. You didn't know when I got away with it again. Okay, here we go. The fear of man brings what? A snare, right? A trap. But whoever trusts in the Lord, what? Shall be safe. All right, there's the contrast. If you're afraid of men or women, there will be a trap or a snare. If you trust in God, you will be protected and you'll be safe. From what? Duh! From what? From the trap. All right? Let's stick to the text here. From the trap. You got it? If you trust in God, he'll protect you from the trap. If, you, if you're afraid of men, you're going to fall into the trap. So the protection from the trap is to trust in God. Now the question is, what is the trap? What is the snare? All right? Let me ask you something. What happens when you're afraid of your boss? How many of you are afraid of your boss? Yeah, we know who your boss is, too. Yeah. All right. Way to go, Kay. All right. How many of you have ever been afraid of a boss? All right. Thank you very much. All right. Anyone who's afraid of a boss? Let me ask you something. Did you enjoy going to work? No, right? You hated going to work. You dreaded going to work. What does fear do? Fear robs you of the joy of living. You're ever afraid of a boss? You hated going to work. What's the trap or the snare? Potentially the trap or the snare is you don't enjoy life anymore. How many of you have ever been afraid of... Um, oh, this is a good one. How about in school? Anybody ever been afraid of a bully? Every school had a bully, right? It's like they, they interview kids to, for the job. They're out of the district. They, they bust them in. It's like, <laughs> we don't have any bullies. We need a bully. You got to have one bully. Man, I had a, I, we had a bully in our, in, in, when we played football together. This guy was an animal. I mean, he was, he, was just, he was the most frightening person I'd ever been around. And he talked funny, too. He talked like this. And it was like, and you couldn't even make fun of him. If he laughed when he said something, he just about killed you. But the, this guy was nuts. He was the kind of guy who got stabbed in a street fight. And a day later, his friends took the weights, his weights to his hospital. And he was lifting weights in his hospital bed. He was nuts. I mean, and he was frightening. And uh, it might have been. He looked a little like you. But... But if you've ever been there, what does it do? Man, it, it, it terrorizes you. You don't even want to go to school. You're afraid. You see him come up. He wants your lunch money. He wants your lunch. He wants you for lunch. You know, that's kind of the way that it works. It kind of goes that way. And uh, we played football together. And I'll never forget this. We had a timeout. And, he, and his, his favorite line was, get up, you sissy. And, um, you know, when a guy got knocked down, get up, you sissy. And it's like, but I can't find my leg. But... <laughs> And, uh, and so what they did was they called a timeout, and we didn't have any timeouts, so we had a faking injury, which I guess is okay. And, uh, and so they asked me to do it. So I was laying on the ground, pretending I was hurt. He was standing over me, looking in my face, going, get up, you sissy, and he started kicking me in the side. He started kicking me in the side. Well, by the time he was done kicking me, I was hurt, so I didn't feel bad about lying. But, but he was nuts. 
And you know what? And you know what happened? I was afraid to be near him. I was afraid to go to school. I was afraid to go. And, and we were both linebackers. We played right next to each other. I was afraid to miss a tackle where it beat me up. I played better, I guess, because of it. Yeah, you sissy, shut up. <laughs> but, but you know, you're, you're afraid. I mean, you've been there. If you've been, you know, you know what that's like. How many have ever been afraid of opponents? You know, we, we played guys that were like huge. You ever, you ever, I mean, when you play in sports, the first thing you do is, well, you know, I'm managing this all-star baseball team. The first thing our kids do, they go up and these other teams line up. They go, man, look how big they are. <laughs> oh, wow, dude, look at that one guy throw, man. And so the first thing you do is you're intimidated by someone's size, right? We used to have team, teams like that, and we weren't that good a football team, but we'd, we'd face these opponents, and, and, and a coach always say this, don't forget, boys, they put their uniforms on one leg at a time. And my buddy's sitting next to me going, yeah, coach, look how big and muscular their legs are. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like that. And you go, oh, man, you know, it's that kind of thing. And then, you know, my other buddy sees his boyfriend going, yeah, well, if it was a dressing contest, it would be okay. <laughs> but it's kind of like that, right? Well, what's the deal? I mean, if, you, if you're afraid of your boss, what happens? You hate going to work. If you're afraid of a bully at school, you hate going to school. If you're afraid of, uh, you know, an, an opponent, you hate playing the game. I mean, if you're afraid of a coach, you, you hate being there. You hate the sport. If you're afraid of, you know, an owner of a business, you hate being involved with it. What happens? You know, fear of man robs us of the joy of living, doesn't it? It robs us of the joy of living. But you know what? There's even something that's, that's more dangerous than just the fear of man as far as the trap is concerned of, of not enjoying life. And you know what that is? That's the trap of compromise. That's the trap of making wrong decisions because you're so afraid of the person that's above you. That's the trap of succumbing to peer pressure as, as, a, as a student or a young person because you're afraid of not being uh, wanted by the group. You're afraid of not being accepted by the people, your peers. That's the fear of indecision or freezing when you have to make critical decisions and being immobilized because you're afraid to make the right or wrong decision. It's also the trap of rationalizing our disobedience. And it's an easy thing to do. Not long ago, I worked for a man. As I look back, epitomized everything that's evil in the world. These men that lie, cheat, stole from his wife, from his kids, from our customers, from our creditors, from everybody that, that he came in contact with. And the problem at the time was I was making more money than I ever made in my life. So we had some real difficult moments together trying to work out and understand. And, and my rationalization for a long period of time was that his mom was a Christian and had prayed that a, that a godly man would be brought into his life to help balance him out in the things that he did personally and in, in his profession and business life. And uh, I was working at the time doing some things with athletes in action, and I had met one particular man for lunch. And I got back in my car, and I was driving back to the office, and the phone rang, and it was my boss. And he had found out that I was meeting with, a, quote, another religious connection that I had. And the anger was just burning inside of him. And he said, listen, you, unless you see his effing name on the bottom of your paycheck, you remember you work for me. And he hung up the phone. And then I had a real dilemma on my hands. Because it's like, who really did I work for? And what really did I stand for? And how long could you compromise uh, the convictions that you had? And at that time, God said, check, you've got to draw a line. You've got to draw a line. We need to be submissive to authority, and I understand that principle quite well, but when the authority asks you to do things that are in violation of the Word of God, then you've got a dilemma on your hands, regardless of how much money you make, regardless of what position you're going to lose. 
And that is that you must trust me and be obedient to me. And that's all that I kept hearing. That's all that I kept struggling with. So I drew the line. And I wouldn't go over the line. And he pushed me to the line and one day walked in and said, you're fired. And I said, for what? He goes, you know, I'm just sick of dealing with you. And I'm sick of answering to you. And I'm sick of having to feel like I have to explain what I do to you. And I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And when I fire you, everyone else in this place is going to be deathly afraid of me and no one will ever question anything that I do. Interesting. It was a fun day. And, uh, and I remember looking at him and I thought, you know what? I really don't work for you anyway. See, I work for Jesus Christ. Because from what I understand of the Bible is that he bought me with a price. So I answer to him anyway. And I've got to do what's right before God. And there's nothing that you could ever do that's going to make me afraid to the point where I've got to compromise my love for God because if I love him, I've got to obey his commandments. And if I trust him, that means I've got to trust him that he'll provide for me in the future. And so really, I guess this probably is pretty much where you know, the rubber meets the road as far as everything that I say I believe. And he fired me. And the point that I want to make is real simple. Is that we really don't work for any human being we really don't answer directly to any human being, although we do, and we need to understand the principle of submission and authority. But when that's, that authority pushes us to the point where we have to compromise our love for God and our obedience to his commandments and our trust in him for our future, um, then we have to draw a line. And the only way we know whether we trust him or not is if we're willing to pay the price at the line that's drawn. So no matter what anyone says or does to you, no person on the face of this earth can intimidate a child of God who trusts in God. When I speak to high school groups, I ask this question of the sponsors and the adults that are usually in the crowd, and I'll ask them, I'll say, how many of you in this group? And I'll ask you the same thing. How many of you have, uh, still have close contact with people that you went to high school with? Let me see something. Raise your hand. Okay, there's probably 20, 30 people, maybe a little more, out of everyone that's here. And the point that I usually make is, and that's usually more than is the case in the group that I talk to, and that is that, you know what, isn't it a shame that you compromise your love for God and obedience to his commandments by succumbing to peer pressure to somebody that's in your life at this particular moment in time who 10, 15, 20, 30 years from now, you won't even remember who they are unless you dig out that, that scrapbook and you start reading about them. So isn't that sad that you compromise your love for God for a person that's not going to be in your life 5, 10, 15, or 20 years from now? We have the same problem in, in, uh, with our jobs, don't we? Isn't it a sad thing that you would compromise your walk with God for a boss who's in your life today, that tomorrow he may not even be your boss, next week he may not be your boss, five years from now you'll probably have a different job, and you're going to sell out today because you're afraid of your boss when he asks you to do something that's wrong before God? Isn't there a little bit of irony to all of that? It was funny, we had a bunch of guys that are on the, on the team in, in our Bible study with the Rams, and uh, there were some very intimidating coaches, and coaches can tend to be that way. That's why they're in the position that they're in. Um, and uh, yet, you know, there are a lot of good coaches in the NFL who don't ask a person to compromise as far as their walk with God, their obedience to God, and doing those things. But sometimes there are people that, that would have you compromise. And if you're not doing what they expect you to do or not doing it the way they want you to do or not partying with them or doing something like that, then you're not really accepted because you're different than everybody that they're used to dealing with. And we went through the struggle of, you know, who do you obey? And the Bible is very clear. We always obey God because that's who we're accountable to. And the irony of all of that is one particular year, every one of those coaches were gone a week later. 
And it was a perfect opportunity to say, look, you know what, this is the point I'm trying to make. You go out and you do your job as well as you can do it. You bust your butt, you play hard, you study hard, you train hard. You do all those things to the glory of God. But when any human being asks you to compromise in your obedience before God, you've got to obey God rather than man. Because man isn't, that same person isn't always going to be in your life. And what I found is true. If you're afraid of this boss, you'll be afraid of the next boss. And if you're afraid of this coach, you'll be afraid of the next coach. And if you're afraid of this teacher, you'll be afraid of the next teacher. And you'll always be afraid of human beings who want you to compromise your walk and your relationship with God. We need to get to the point, men and women of God, where we're not afraid of human beings that bring us to the point of falling into the trap of compromise. We've got to stand firm on the Word of God. We, not, we can't be afraid of what happens. You know, we have been bought with a price. And it's very interesting to me is that fear of what others will say about you often immobilizes us as well. I struggle with, and, and, I, and I've run into this on occasions, you know, I'm afraid of sometimes when you speak publicly, what is so-and-so going to think or what is somebody going to say? Or, you know, and, and, and after you get hammered on for a while, it almost you get gun-shy. And then I begin to realize when I read the Word of God, as long as I'm being obedient to God and I'm teaching the truth, I can't be afraid of what any person says that listens as long as it's true from the Word of God. And I've got to be sensitive to the people that are speaking, and I can't be critical and condemning and attacking an individual rather than behavior, and I need to understand that and learn the difference between the two and try to be sensitive to that. But what I found is that when I begin to reflect and take too seriously what people say about what I have just said, I'm afraid to speak. I'm terrorized by it. I'm immobilized by it. I'm hanging out on that beam on the 17th floor holding on to that beam for all I'm worth, and I don't want to make a wrong move. I'm managing an all-star team, part of the price of being in a leadership position, right? We've got 14 kids who are on the all-star team. The reason that they're there is because most of the time the 14 kids are really good ball players. Only nine can play at a time. Guess what? That means five sit on the bench. Guess what that means? Five parents are ticked off, including the kids. And then you sit around and you second-guess yourself. Well, should I play Johnny? Should I play Sam? Should I play Joe? Should I do this? Should I do that? Who should pitch? Should he pitch? I don't think he can pitch. His dad thinks he's a good pitcher. Should I put him on the mound? I don't know if I should put him on the mound. I don't know. I think I'll just call the whole thing off because this is too scary for me. But that's the price that you live with when you have to make decisions. And we've got to realize that we cannot allow fear of man to immobilize us as long as what we're doing is morally right before God. We're all going to make decisions and we're all going to disagree on how those decisions should be made. And the, and the privilege of being in a leadership position is that you get to make the decision and being second-guessed instead of sitting in the stands and second-guessed the decisions are being made. And that's really the only difference between the two. You know, fear of man, fear of evil, fear of an enemy. We'll stop here. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to uh, look clearly into your word that teaches us that uh, if we're afraid of evil or enemies or of man, that uh, we're simply just not trusting you. God, help us to understand that you are in control, that uh, the evil in this world, although we don't like it, we don't like the consequences of it, we certainly don't like what we see around us, we need to realize that you allow it for your purposes and for your glory and to draw people to yourself. God, help us to see that any enemies that we have comes usually as a result of you placing them before us in our life. It's a test an obstacle, a hurdle that we need to overcome in our relationship with you to see if we really trust you. God, help us to see that if we're afraid of other people, that there's a snare and a trap that usually follows, and that's the snare that we would lose joy in what we do. Also, the trap that we would compromise our convictions in what we say we believe. 
God, help us never to sell out for any human being and know that we always answer to you above all. That doesn't mean we should be rude, and it doesn't mean we shouldn't be obedient to authority, and it doesn't mean we shouldn't show them proper respect. But what it does mean is that when we're asked to do anything that crosses the line of what is right and wrong, that we have to dig in, we have to hunker down and just say we can't go beyond that, and that we'll trust you for whatever happens, no matter what the results are, and that we know you have our best interest in mind. God, help us to be men and women that aren't afraid, that aren't immobilized, that aren't hiding behind locked doors and elaborate alarm systems, the men and women that are out in a world that's dangerous yet realize that we are protected and we have confidence and assurance knowing that you're with us. Yea, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we'll fear no evil because you are with us and that your rod and your staff are enough to comfort us. And we just praise you in Christ's name. Amen.